seat. Good morning. We want to welcome you to worship today. Isn't this great? This group great up here, leading us in worship. Yeah. Um, hey, they practiced. They've worked hard to uh, to bring us to this place today, and so we want to uh, be excited about that, but also just be brought into uh, the presence and the power of uh, of Almighty God. And He is here with us this morning. We believe that. Um, and he is, uh, he is very, very present among us today. His Holy Spirit is with us. He lives in our hearts, but he's present when his people gather together. And there is power when his people gather together. And there is change and there is transformation when his people gather together. And his word is preached and taught and sung. And we declare it together corporately. So there is power when God's people come together. And that's what we want to remember this morning. Listen, if you're new with us, if you've not been here before, we want to welcome you to Central today. We're thankful that that, uh, that you chose to join us today, and we want to welcome you as from on behalf of our church family uh, to worship and to be a part of our church family this morning. Those of you who are church family, look around you. If you see someone you don't know, if you haven't seen them in a while, after the service today, make sure you make a beeline for them and make sure you welcome them properly. Um, one of the things that I love to hear from when I talk to people who have visited our church or come through the new members process is just how welcoming our church is. I hear it time and time again. So good job, guys. And let's keep it up. Um, but we want to um, uh, have a great service this morning. We've got a great service planned. Um, and so we want to worship the Lord through music, through praying, through the preaching of God's word, through the response of what he has for us today. And of course, through our giving of our tithes and offerings. So let's, let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to bless our service and put his hand of favor upon us. God, we do thank you this morning for the time that we have to come together again. Um, Lord, we do love you. Uh, it's the reason we're here. We're not here, Lord, just for our, ourselves. We're not here, God, just for any other person. We are here for you because of all that you've done for us. We worship you in return. But Lord, we worship you for who you are, not just for the things you've given us, the things you've done in our lives, but Lord, for who you are. You are perfect, you are holy, you are righteous, you are trustworthy, you are a God who is worthy to be worshiped, both corporately as we're doing right now, but also individually. And what we pray this morning is that your hand would be upon us. We are asking you to anoint this place and that your Holy Spirit would work and move among us. We give this service to you. And we do so in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
seated. You know, as we pray, I want to encourage you to come forward and pray with me here at the front. You know, there's certain words that just hit differently when you sing them and when they impact your life. And so, you know, when it, we all have moments of temptation in our life. We have moments of trial. We have moments of difficulty in our life. And it's in those moments that the Lord moves in because he's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's never abandoned us. And so we need to remember that. And we need to take those temptations, those anxieties, those worries, those struggles to the Lord in prayer. And that may be where you are this morning. Maybe you've been wrestling with something going on in your life, something going on in your home, your family, extended family. Maybe it's a personal matter, physical matter. I don't know what it is, but we want to pray for you this morning. And we want to remind you today as these words that we just sung remind us of and that the Lord is on your side. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he loves you. He cares deeply for you. He cares deeply for your life. And so let's take these things to the Lord. Let's take our lives to the Lord. Let's take other people to the Lord, the names of other people that mean so much to us that we're maybe burdened by or about. Let's take our decisions to the Lord and uh, let's turn them over to him, okay? So let's pray. God, as we come to you, we thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for our worship team this morning leading us and guiding us, Lord, to you. And what a powerful, Lord, just reminder as we've been singing these songs this morning of who you are, of what you've done, of what you are doing, and what you will do. God, we've been singing about these things this morning because we need to hear them, and we need to be edified and encouraged by them. We need to be reminded of them these concrete biblical truths, Lord, that we believe in our hearts and in our lives as Christians, these things that we read about in your word. Father, you have impressed upon us, Lord, um, that you are a God who never abandons us. You are a God who never leaves us. You are here with us even now. You're here right here at these stairs with us. You are there in the pews where we sit, in the seats from where we sit. You're there, God, next to us, Lord, as followers of your son, Jesus. We are always with you. And we thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that your Holy Spirit rests inside of us. God, we thank you for dwelling in us, 
For you came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves by sending Jesus into this world, saving us, going to the cross for us, suffering on the cross, Lord Jesus, laying down your life for us. That God, when we turn our lives over to you, you come in and you move into our lives. The work that you did on the cross, Lord Jesus, is applied to us. The blood that you shed is applied to us. Your body that was broken is applied to us. And we are broken people. We, God, are in need of being rescued. We are in need of being saved. And God, by faith in you alone, can we, Lord, taste and understand what it means to be forgiven what it means to be redeemed, what it means to be reconciled to a God who is perfect and holy and no understanding that we are not. And we cannot understand that this morning, God. We cannot get our minds around that this morning, but we believe it. We believe that, God, you are a God who is powerful. You're a God of strength. You're a God who is our fortress. You are a God who protects us. You're a God who surrounds us because you love your church. You love your people. And you will never abandon your people. So we bring these things to you this morning, these things that are burdens on our hearts and on our minds. We bring the names of people. Maybe it's our own heart. Maybe it's our own life that we're just burdened by. The worries of the world and the anxieties of the world, the tough decisions that we have to make, the uncertainty of the future, the areas of the past that we've struggled to let go of, the difficult trials that we're walking through and in the midst of even now. We give them over to you because we understand and trust that you're a God who is powerful. You're a God who is bigger than these things. And we acknowledge that we're not. We cannot overcome these things, but you can. And so we surrender these things to you. We understand what it says in Philippians 4, that we turn these things over to you and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We believe that. We affirm that, we claim that this morning. We give this time to you, Lord. We give this time, Lord, in your word to you. We just pray that your hand would be upon us and that you would speak through your word into our hearts and give us the courage to respond to it. So we give this moment to you, this moment in which you want to speak into our lives. And God, just open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to the things you want us to see and hear today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Hey, listen, I want you to take a Bible and turn with me to the book of the Psalms. I am excited this morning. We're going to start a very short series of about four Sundays. We're going to be looking this morning um, at a series of Psalms that King David penned himself or that are ascribed to King David. We're going to come back to that in a moment. The last two Sundays, though, we've been looking at a short, very short series. If you've been out of town, you missed it uh, because we just went two Sundays. But on the issue of how to have a healthy heart, we've been looking at how the stuff, our money, our possessions, how they impact or affect our hearts. God has a lot to say about that. The Word of God has a tremendous amount of time, or God spends a lot of time communicating to us both in the Old Testament and the New Testament about our things and our stuff and our money and our possessions and how they impact our hearts and our minds and our souls. We only covered two Sundays of that, but there's so much of what the Word of God says. But this morning, we're going to look at a very short series that I'm calling um, How to Praise God in Hard Times. Now, that sounds like a very simple kind of title, if you will, of a series. 
there is interesting, what is interesting about these psalms that we're going to look at over the course of the next several Sundays is that King David went through a lot as he was writing these. King David, or David, in the Old Testament, of course, is known for a lot of things. He's known as being a man after God's own heart. He was a man who was passionate about following the Lord in his life. He was also a man who understood victories. We know of the great stories of the Old Testament of David and slaying Goliath and all of the other stories. His mighty men, as comes later in the story, in the narrative. David, though, was also a man who understood um, the effects of sin upon his life, the destruction of sin upon his life. He knew and he understood um, brokenness, brokenness that leads to repentance in his own life. He also understood not only the brokenness and understanding repentance in his life, but he understood the sweetness of redemption, the sweetness of reconciliation, the sweetness of forgiveness. So he understood brokenness of sin, but he also understood the sweetness of redemption. He understood hardship and he understood suffering. If you just read the story of David in the Old Testament, you will read in First and Second Samuel the stories of how God brought David and rose David up, not only on the battlefield against Goliath when he slayed Goliath and God got the credit for it, but God began to raise David up. He had anointed David as the king of Israel. But see, King Saul was the current king of Israel. And so what First and Second Samuel chronicles for us are the stories of how, what, 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 how Satan raised up a man by the name of Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time, to go after David. A David who had not done anything wrong. David who had not uh, had chosen to do the right thing, had always chosen to do the right thing, honor the king, do the things that God wanted him to do. He was a man after his own heart. And yet, we see and read about the stories of First and Second Samuel of how Saul himself hunted David down to try and kill him. We find David, who was a man who was anointed by God, who was, who was a man after God's own heart, who has been doing the right things, who was trying to do the right things, hiding in caves and running for his life and spending time, a lot of time with the Lord. Later in the story, as David is then brought to the point of being the king of Israel and Saul fades in the background, we see his own son Absalom, who tries to rise up and take over his father's throne and runs him out of the, of the city and takes over his throne, betrays his own father. David understood not only was he a man after God's own heart, not only had he tasted brokenness, had he tasted the sweetness of forgiveness, but he went through a tremendous amount of hardship and suffering, and yet he grew. Church, he grew. He grew in his own personal relationship with God. He spent a tremendous amount of time with God in caves, in the middle of the desert as he was staring into the sky late at night, talking to the Lord, praising God. He grew in his understanding of what it meant to worship only God himself. He understood and grew in his relationship with God. It deepened in his personal relationship with God. And so therefore, there are many psalms that he wrote out of his suffering, out of his hardship, out of his difficulties. We come to prayers and we see praises of what he did. And what he, what he wrote. We're going to look at some of those. How to praise God. How to worship God during hard times. I don't know where you are this morning. Um, maybe you have enemies in your life right now that you would consider enemies. What I mean by that, David himself had people that Satan rose up in his life. There were moments in David's life where they were 
falsehoods. There were lies spoken about David. There were things that were spoken about David that were just quite frankly untrue. And so Satan would raise up these individuals who maybe at some point, at some point in their life, tried to honor God the best they could, but because of their weakness, because of their self-centeredness, Satan moved in and rose them up in David's life to accuse him, to speak lies about him, to breathe falsehoods about him, to create injustice around him and injustice towards him, and yet David praised God and spent a lot of time worshiping God. I don't know where you are. I've had moments in my life where Satan raised up and rose up people in my life. I've seen it happen in my own family's life. I've seen it happen in the lives of people I dearly love and accuse and speak lies and threats and falsehoods. Maybe that's where you are this morning. If you follow Jesus Christ with your life any length of time, it will happen because Satan hates you. The devil hates you. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your life. Even though you are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, he will come at you hard when you try to do things God's way. And so that may not be happening in your life now, but you step out in faith and you try to do something at school. And you try to honor Jesus Christ at school. Or you try to honor Jesus Christ in your place of work. Or you try to honor Jesus Christ and advance the kingdom and share the gospel among your friend or your family member or people that you trust Satan will move in to attack you. And he may not do it front, full frontal with this billboard around his neck saying, here, I'm here. He will do it through people that you care about, people that you love, people that you have even trusted at times in your life. He will raise them up. Falsehoods, lies, all of these kinds of things, what are we to do? Well, David went to the Lord. He went to the Lord, and he knew that he was, on, when he knew he was on the right side. But you see, there were many times when those on the wrong side seemed to win the day. They seemed to win the day. So what are we to do? Well, what I want to remind us of this morning and encourages us from Psalm 5 is with this. There is a pathway to joyful peace. There is a pathway to joyful peace in our life. I want you to look with me in Psalm 5. I'm going to read it for us. This is David, and he's reacting to a very difficult season in his life, hardship, suffering, and so forth. This is what David says. Give ear to my words, O Lord. This is a prayer to the Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, and for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you, and then I watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You, sh you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, verse 7, through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fail or fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. Look at verse 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them over, ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with 
a shield. In the face of enemies, you can trust God and you can run after righteousness. You see, in the face of enemies, you can trust God and you can run after righteousness. David did. He's going through a very challenging and difficult time. Many believe that this is in the season of which his own son has raised, been raised up and has now created a coup, has taken over the throne and has pushed David out and is going to hunt David down to kill him and all the people that are around him. Absalom himself wants his own dad's throne. And if that's the case, and if that is the backdrop, which we don't fully know of, verse, of chapter 5 or of Psalm 5, which most believe is the case, then we see that what David did is in the face of his enemies, in the face of his own son, he trusted God and he ran after righteousness. He ran after it and God honored it and God blessed him in the face of all of this. As you approach the Lord in prayer, what I want to remind you of this morning, because this is what God wants you to do in the face of enemies, is press into the Lord, is go to the Lord in prayer. And when you come to the Lord in prayer like David does, well, this is what I want to remind you of because David shows us these things. God shows us these things, five of them, five concrete truths that Psalm 5 show us of, of what you need to remember when it comes to your relationship with God and when you come to him in prayer. Here's the first one this morning, and I want you to see it in the first kind of stanza, if you, if you will. There are five of them here in Psalm chapter 5. That's why you see those little breaks between verses 3 and 4 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. These are stanzas of kind of, of how David is communicating with God as he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. He's also remembering these things that are so true. Here's the first one. The Lord hears and he answers prayer. He hears and he answers prayer. David knew this when he came to the Lord. And right here in these first three verses, he wants to remind himself and he's, God is reminding us that he himself hears and he answers prayer. Notice the confidence that David comes to him with. David comes to him with confidence. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. To you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning. You hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I do what? Watch. I wait for you to move. This is what God does. Or this is what David does when his relationship with God. The Lord both listened and David knew that God would listen and both respond. And notice the progression. I mean, if your translation says what mine says, in verse 1, it talks about groaning. David speaks of groaning. Have you ever come to a place in your life, well, let me, let me talk about the progression, then we'll come back to groaning. There, there's groaning, which then leads to what? Crying, which then leads to what? Expectant prayer. David groans, and then he cries, and then he expects God to move. Once he's groaned, he's cried, he, then what? He expects God to move. I watch, I wait for you to do something. There was a sense of expectant prayer. Think about it with, with me, what it says in verse 1, that idea of groaning. You ever come to a place in your life when you've got such an overwhelming burden in your life that you can't put into words what you want to say to the Lord? You ever wake up in the middle of the night and you're just so overwhelmed that you can't even put in words what, what's really wrong in your heart? There's a sense of sometimes in our lives, there's this in these inward thoughts. You can't communicate and articulate it to your spouse. You can't articulate it and communicate it to your children or to your closest friend or to the church family that's around you, even to the left or to the right. You just can't put it into words, and yet the Lord knows what's on your heart. That's what this idea of groaning means. David, he doesn't even know what to say. He's so overwhelmed with these inward thoughts in his own heart. No one gets it. 
No one even in David's inner circle, the people around him that knew him best could even get it. The words did not come. And what did David do? He looks at God, he prays to God, and he says, give attention, in verse 2, to the sound of my cry. Because his groaning turns into crying, in verse 2. And what does he do? He puts the Lord in the proper place in his own mind and heart. He says, my king and my God. He, David knows he's the anointed king of Israel. He's going to take over. And, it, and it, if, if this has to do with Absalom, he is the king of Israel at the time. In the seat. And yet, what does he acknowledge? He acknowledges this covenant relationship he has with God. God, you are the king. I'm not the king. You're the one who anointed me. You're the one who put me in the seat. You're the one who gave me all of this authority and all of this, 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 this people, your people, to oversee and to steward well. David's like, listen, this groaning is now turning into crying. And what is the appeal that he makes? He says, in the morning, look at verse 3. Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. He says it again. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. Don't miss it. Prayer was a priority to David. And what he's saying is in the morning when he wakes up, he comes to the Lord. He doesn't go to anything else. He doesn't go to himself. He goes to the Lord. The morning, the first part of the day, the first moment in which he wakes up, before the day gets started, before all of the tasks get done, before all the grass gets mowed, right? He goes to the Lord. He comes to him in the morning because prayer was a priority to him. His communion with God was a priority with him. And so he came to the Lord in the morning, and it's important to understand that. And God says so regular, it was so regular in David's life that he woke up he prepared himself, and then he offered prayer in verse 3. But then he expected him to listen. He expected him to listen, and he expected him to answer. Sometimes in our life, the words just don't come. God understands that. I mean, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Look at this verse. What it says is, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And this is what the Lord does in our life. You think you're burdened, the Lord knows exactly what's on your heart, even when you cannot articulate it. The Spirit of God knows you better than you know yourself. The Spirit of God knows you better than anyone in this room ever knows you. Married for 66 years, married for 70 years, married for 80 years, I don't know. That spouse pales in understanding you like God knows you. He knows you. The Spirit of God gives us the words to say even in our prayer life. We're called to pray at all times. I mean, this is what Psalm 55 verse 17 says for us. It reminds us of this. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and I moan and he hears my voice. How about that? What a promise. You see, what we need to remember when we come to the Lord right here in these first three verses, as David reminds us of, is that the Lord hears and he answers prayer. But watch what David does next. Because in verse 4, what David begins to say is he stands against the wicked. God, you stand against the wicked. You hear and you answer prayer, but you stand against the wicked. And David appeals to the justice of God. Look at verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall stand before your eyes. Think courtroom. I mean, as, as, as though God is the, the judge, he is the justice, he is, stands for justice. And there is the sense in which God, or David, appeals for that, to that justice. What does he say? He's reminded, look at verse 4 again, God rejects the wicked. We need to be reminded of that. He, re he rejects wickedness. 
people that are enemies in your life, people that are trying to come at you, trying to destroy your life, try to destroy your family, try to destroy your character, your integrity, all of those kinds of things. God stands against the wicked. He's on your side. You pursue righteousness with your life, you just pursue right living with your life, then God is on your side in every respect. He stands against it. David had hope. This is what he's saying in verse 4 and 5. He's having hope, and he's appealing to who God is. God would intervene. God would help him. That's why you see in verse 4 the word for. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. He's appealing to the nature of who God is and what God stands for. And God is not on the side of the wicked. He's on the side of the righteous. God is not like the wicked in other words, why do you pour your heart out to the Lord? Why did you come and you prayed here at the front? Why did maybe you kneel where you were seated? Why did you, if you physically couldn't get up and kneel, did you pour out your heart to the Lord a few moments ago? Because you believe that God is a God who is just. You believe that God is a God who is perfect. You believe that God is a God who is holy. You believe that God is a God who can do it. He can handle it. He can move. He can move towards whatever's going on in your life or that particular enemy or that particular challenging situation. He can act. He can and he will according to his will. What God does in our lives is he acts towards his people. He stands on the side of his people. And this is why you pray. This is why I pray. This is why David is saying, for you are not a God. Why did I bring myself to you in the morning, David says in verse 3? Because you are not a God who delights in right in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. God stands against it all in an unjust world. We meet a God who is perfect and holy and just. And you can appeal just David is appealing on the basis of God's moral clarity. God, David had moral clarity about God. This is who God is. This is who I know God to be. It is a concrete truth in the heart and mind of David. It is a concrete truth in the mind and the heart of the Christian. Because we believe it's true. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't hopeful thinking. This is truth about how God has revealed himself to us. God sees who is evil, and he sees who is not evil. And he knows that they will not stand in the presence of a holy God. I mean, Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 1, verse 5. You can look over there and look at it with me if you want. But it says, therefore the wicked will not, what? Stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And that's Psalm 1, that's right out of the gate. David understands this. David knows this about God. And so he acknowledges this in verses 4, 5, and 6. He says, I bring my enemies to you. I bring my problems to you. I bring my challenges to you. And in the morning, first light, first time of the day, I'm going to bring these things to you because I know you listen to me and I know you will act. You will hear and you will act. And you're a God who stands against the wicked. Now that should give you confidence. That should give you confidence when you come to the Lord. In fact, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says this, verse 4. We got it there? 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Look at verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 
Look at this. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I mean, God, you can have confidence when you approach God in this way. He hears the prayers. He hears the cries of the righteous. When evil surrounds, he moves in. Listen, let me, let me remind you of, of an example of this in the Old Testament. When God calls his people out of Egypt, Moses is leading his people out of Egypt, right? The people of Egypt, or uh, Israel, come out of Egypt after all the plagues, and they get to the brink of the Red Sea. And what do they begin to see? They're standing between a rock and a hard place. Do you know what I mean by that? Cliche. They're staring at the Red Sea that is impossible to cross. They turn around and they see the Egyptians bearing down on them to hunt them down, grab them, whip them, and haul them back into Egypt. And what do they do? Well, it tells us there in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, that they turn and they begin to cry out to the Lord. And at the end of the story, what does it say? He splits the sea, the Egyptians fail, and God's people are saved and rescued and taken on the other side of the sea. God hears his people. He stands with the righteous. He stands against the unrighteous. But David's not done. Because not only does he stand against the wicked, but thirdly, look at this here in, the, in, the, in these two verses, verses 7 and 8. Everything seems to be funneling right to verses 7 and 8 when David is crying out to God in the face of all of this injustice and these difficult seasons in his life. He, he's reminded that the, the Lord loves righteous living. He loves righteous, the pursuit of righteousness in our lives. Everything leads here. I mean, look back at verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, but look at verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. You see, the wickedness cannot stand. Wicked people cannot stand. Wickedness cannot stand in the presence of a holy God, but God's people can. David says, I will come to your house. I will impress into you, Lord. I will dwell with you. Which sounds strange, because David's on the run. David may be in a cave Maybe he's writing this when he stops to get a drink of water. I don't know where he's at. But I'll tell you where he's not. He's not at the tent of meeting. He's not near the ark. He's not where the presence of God dwelled. And yet David says in verse 7 and 8, but through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. He longed to be with God. He longed to be in the presence of God. And listen, in the face of his enemies, in the face of your enemies, you can trust God and you can run after righteousness. You can trust the Lord and you can run after him. You can pursue him with your life because of this invitation. He invites us to worship him. He invites us to be in a place like this corporately where we can sing praises to the Lord. It's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to sing when you, don't, when you can't sing very well. It's okay to express your heart to the Lord when he knows and he is pleased with your worship, not just with music, but with your giving, with your going, with your ability and your willingness to do whatever he's called you to do. God, I will act, I will move when you say to move it, how you say to move it, where you say to move. 
He loves that because he wants our surrender. He wants our obedience. He wants our willingness. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to run after righteousness in this wicked, unrighteous world. He wants us to press into him and move towards him and follow him with our hearts. He is a God who loves that. But how is it that we can do that by way of his steadfast love? Look at verse 7. David understands that he has no right to stand in the presence of God. He can enter into his house. He can bow down. It is only because of God's love towards him. God's mercy moves you to worship him. If that's if for anything else, when you walk into this room and you sing songs to him and you give money to him and his work locally and globally, when you hear a message and you say, okay, yes, I'm going to step out in faith and do this or that, it is all because of, of who, he ha- who he is and how he has expressed himself. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of, uh, of grace towards you. His steadfast love has been poured out upon your life. Therefore, you act, you move, you press, you do things that are uncomfortable. You step out of comfort zone and you step forward and you start following him by faith because of his steadfast love towards you. He is a God who loves you deeply. You see, the fear of God motivates true worship. It motivates true worship. Look at verse 7 again. But you, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your, our house, your house. I will bow down and towards your holy temple. The fear of God, his holy name has power. David knew this through his life experiences. David understood this. It led him to depend on God in more righteous, with more righteous living, to continue to pursue what God wanted him to pursue in his life. He understood what the Lord wanted. But look at verse 8. Your enemies may not succeed, they will fail. I mean, verse 8 says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. God's people, are the, sorry, the unrighteous will not be in the presence of God. You will be. God says, those who follow him will be in the presence of a holy God. So we can pray for a straight way in our life. We can pray for God's way in our life. Romans 8.31 says this. Look at this with me. In Romans 8.31, we have that. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? We know these verses. I mean, God, and we understand the rest of that passage, God stands on the side of his people. He stands opposed to the wicked, but he loves righteous living. So your enemies may not be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. They will fail, but I can pray for the right way. I can run after the Lord because the pathway to joy includes a commitment to follow his word. So the Lord loves righteous living, but he punishes unrighteous living, which is what he says in verse 9 and 10. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fail or fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. What did David do? He prayed for justice. He waited for God to handle it. What what didn't he do? Take matters into his own hands. He didn't run after his enemies. He let God handle his enemies. He didn't come down on his enemies. He let the Lord deal with his enemies when he was ready and in his timing. 
this story is about Absalom. Then think about the story and how the story of Absalom ends. In 2 Samuel, it tells us this, the very end of this story, when it comes to where Absalom and the uprising of David ends, this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 18. Look at these two verses. And the men of Israel were defeated, and thereby the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. Look at verse 8. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. God stepped in and provided for David. God's the one who took care of the uprising. God's the one who took care of his own son, Absalom. Absalom dies. The men, the thousands of men who uprose against David himself die. The forest itself takes over all of these men more so than the sword because God was on the side of David. And therefore, as he's appealing to God here in verses 9 and 10, the Lord is going to punish unrighteous living. This is what he says to him. God punished him. His prayers were answered. David's prayers were answered. If, that's the, if this is the story about Absalom, you see, this is what God does. He punishes the unrighteous. Romans chapter 2 Beginning in verse 6, it says this, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Look at this. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. He says there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the first Jew and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is how he wraps it up, for God shows no partiality. If you're standing on the side of Christ, if you're standing on the side of God's word, then he will take care of his enemies, of your enemies. God stands for you and he stands with you. And so the Lord punishes unrighteous living. But watch this, how he wraps it up in verse 11 and 12 in this psalm. Because here's what God does. He, he reminds of, the, of this, and we need to be reminded of this this morning. David declares to the Lord, where the presence of the Lord is, there is blessing and joy. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is blessing and joy. Look at verse 11 again. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. God, or David, prayed for God's blessings. I mean, look at it again. Let all who take refuge in you, let them ever sing for joy. Why would he pray that? Because God's plan of salvation came through Israel. You understand that the promise, the blessing of all the nations of the earth would come through the Davidic line. David knew this. He understood and therefore, we understand on this side of Jesus Christ that ultimately, through blessing, through joy, it comes through Jesus Christ himself. And we gain an understanding of that when we read this. God's plan of salvation always depended upon Israel. David rejoiced in the promises of God. He rejoiced in the power of God. Look at that. He rejoices in God's name. He knew he wasn't alone. He knew that God was with him. Even when his enemies were closing in, many could join him and praise God even in the midst of these enemies. Why? 
Because where the presence of the Lord is, there is blessing and there is joy. Listen, your burdens are lifted at the cross. Your burdens have always been promised to be lifted at the cross of Jesus Christ. And you and I can rejoice in understanding who Jesus is. We can rejoice in the victory over faith, of sin's pain, and sin's suffering in our life. That's where true joy is. And listen, this is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. In John chapter 16, verse 22, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take what? Joy from you. Where the presence of God is, there is blessing and there is joy. And that blessing and that joy is found through Jesus Christ. You can experience joy in the face of enemies. You can trust God and you can pursue righteousness with your life because God is on the side of the righteous. He walks with you through trials. He gives you an anticipation of the future. And he reminds you that you will receive the crown of righteousness through Jesus Christ in the end. And that's why you can have joy. He leads you to this place of joy in your life. David was led to this place of joy in your life. So how are we to respond to people who attack, spread falsehoods, lie about you, all of these kinds of things where they insult, you pray like David. And you remind yourself when you come to the Lord that he listens and he answers prayer, that he stands against the wicked, that he loves righteous living, that he hates or he goes against and punishes unrighteousness, but where he is present, there is blessing and there is joy. And therefore, in your life, what God wants for you is he wants you to face your enemies, not run from them, but face them. And face them by way of trusting God and pursuing righteousness with your life. You can walk the straight path of God and you can cast your worries and your anxieties on the Lord. That's what God wants you to do. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter, this is what he reminds us of. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Look at this. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How do you praise God in hard times? You cast your anxieties on him. You turn your enemies over to the Lord to do with them what you want, that he wants to do with them. You trust God and you run after righteousness with your life. Because in the end, God stands on the side of the righteous. He stands opposed to the wicked. And I don't know where you are in your life, and I don't know if you have enemies actively in your life or what God's doing in your life or how people are, being, are, are, are attacking you right now or how Satan's attacking you in your life right now, but you can praise God. You can worship him. Promise, I promise you, you can do it. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Listen, you see, in order for you to honor the Lord with your life, he wants you to trust his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to be your Lord and your Savior. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to come into your life and change you. You understand that God is perfect and he is holy. This thing called sin in our life, this brokenness in our life, It keeps us away from God. 
No matter how good I try to be, no matter how good I try to become, I continue to fail and fall short of his standard in my life. Yet that's why Jesus Christ came. Church, it's why Jesus came. It's why we're here. We have no hope without him. And if you're here this morning and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that's what he wants you to do. You see, because the pathway to joy runs through Jesus. The pathway to joy doesn't run through anything else in your life. It runs through Christ. And it runs through, first and foremost, you getting your own heart right with the Lord in your life. And so if you're here this morning, whether you're in the balcony or you're below or you're watching us online and you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, then you can do that this morning. You can do that today. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and sing a song together. And listen, I just want to encourage you to have the courage to come. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you come forward. Don't wait another day. If you're not sure about whether you're a follower of Jesus yet or not, don't leave here and wait another day. Get it right and start following the Lord because he has so much more he wants to do in your life. So many things he wants to say to you. So many ways he wants to change you. But it begins with you surrendering your will to his will. I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and sing. And you have the courage to come. God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, Father, for how you instruct us, how you encourage us, how you guide us. And through the words of David, we're reminded that we can have joy. There is a pathway to joy, even in the midst of dealing with enemies and falsehoods in our life. We love you, Lord. God, I pray for this time that as we stand and sing and we worship you, Lord, we do need you. And God, we need you for salvation. We need you. It comes to our personal relationship with you, God, even if we're Christians in this room. We need you to deal with these things. And so we want to turn over everything to you and leave here with, without carrying any of these burdens. We give this time to you and pray that, God, you give us courage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Lord, I come.
We need the Lord, don't we? Amen? Okay, you can be seated real quick. Hey, listen, a couple quick announcements, and then um, before we leave today and head off to our, um, our small groups this morning, um, and then we have a very kind of a business matter we need to take, a, take care of right at the end of our service, so if you're visiting with us or you're a guest or you're not a member of our church, then just stand by, and you can just watch us. We've got to handle um, a business matter real quick, but I just want to mention a couple quick announcements. One, you know, before we leave today, let's be faithful to give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. They've got, we've got boxes here around the doorways up in the uh, balcony and on the first floor here, and you can give your tithes, your offerings, but also you can go online and give very safely, conveniently, easily online like our family does, and uh, it's very simple to do, and you can give online. You can also drop your offering and, and tithes off at the church, of course, during the week, and we're going to have a word of prayer as we close today to give these offerings to the Lord. It's a matter of worship in our service, and so we do want to mention that. I also want to mention next Sunday night, we've got a great event, Fellowship and Freedom. It's coming up at 6 o'clock. It'll be in the Family Center. We've got a lot of cool things planned, fun things planned, and a lot of our classes are involved in that. We've got some uh, great singing, and we've got some great food, games, all that good stuff. It's going to be a fun night. So help, help us come, uh, come and help us celebrate the, of course, 4th of July weekend, but also we're going to sing and, and have a good time fellowshipping, all right? That's next Sunday night. We've got Vacation Bible School coming up in just a couple weeks. That's right. So be praying, and I'm asking you now, be praying for VBS. It's a great event. We reach a lot of families. We want to be praying for children, pray for moms and dads, grandparents taking care of their children. We want to ask the Lord to anoint and bless this event. And so we need you to invite your friends, family members, your neighbors to come to Vacation Bible School. Jesus will be shared. We will be intentional about sharing the gospel with, our, with these children. And I just want to thank those of you who have been trained and are volunteering. We've got an army of volunteers uh, for VBS, so I'm excited about that. This coming Saturday, July the 1st at 9 a.m., not 1 o'clock in the afternoon, but 9 a.m., we're going to go out in the community and do a blitz. We want to do it early, but not too early. You get your coffee in, show up at the church at 9 a.m. right here at the end of the children's building down that way on the campus, and we'll give you some flyers, and we'll give you a street, and you just go and invite people on the streets we're going to go to to come to VBS, all right? 
And so please help us get the word out. That'll be this Saturday, July the 1st. We've got a couple other things planned. We've got a prayer walk planned coming up um, and lots of other things to lead into VBS in the next couple weeks. But be praying for that event, okay? So I do want to mention that this morning. Okay. Hey, listen, there's a prayer. I'm sorry, there's a Bible reading plan for the second half of this year in the lobby. Let me mention that this morning. And pick it up. It starts on July 1. And uh, it'll take you through the end of the year. So it's the second half of the Bible. We started the first half. And if you've been following along, then you can grab the second half in the lobby. If you haven't or you kind of stopped doing it, this is a great time to start again. We want to encourage people to read the Bible daily and uh, weekly. And so there's a guide. We make it real simple for you. It's in the lobby. It's a, congr- it's a chronological Bible reading plan. So the, the story of the Bible is a story from start to finish. And so what this does is it puts the scripture kind of in that chronological timeline for you. And you're going to be reading all the way through the end of the year. So I want to encourage you to pick one up if you haven't picked one up yet. Okay, so you can start July 1. Now, to the business matter. We have our fiscal year begins July the 1, July the 1st, okay? And it runs through June 30th. And so we're at the end of our budget cycle. And we have been through the process of preparation and so forth. Last Sunday night, we had our members meeting and we opened it up for Q&A on the budget. We've had um, a proposed uh, budget out in the lobby the last two or three Sundays. It's out there again today. But what we need to do as a congregation is vote on that budget that will begin July the 1st, okay? And so that's why we're going to do this. And so if you're a member, then I want to encourage you to take part in this. Um, if you're not, you can just stay seated and watch it. We'll be very quick and we'll be, we'll be gone, okay? But uh, I just want to call our meeting in order. We've got a special call business meeting this morning, so I want to call our meeting to order. And we have one item, and that is a motion that we need to make. I need someone to make that motion to accept um, the budget as proposed, for the new fiscal year. Can I get someone to make that motion? All right, Danny Mosley, and then someone to second. Ben Ogletree to, to second that. All right, so the motion is on the floor to vote on our new fiscal year, um, our budget, our proposed budget for the new fiscal year that will run July 1 through June 30. All those members in favor of that proposed budget say aye. aye. All those opposed, like sign. All right, it's unanimous. Very good. So I want to call our meeting uh, out of order. Our meeting is adjourned, rather. And uh, we're going to have a word of prayer. And we're going to bless, um, pray that God would bless um, our new fiscal year. So praise God. We're moving into a new fiscal year. We've got a lot of great things planned for the coming year. Let me pray for us. And then let's, let, don't forget to uh, give your tithes or offerings. And then also, if you have a guest card or if you have a prayer request card, you can put that in the bag or the boxes as you're leaving today. Okay? Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the time we've had to worship you. Thank you, Father, for um, this past year, uh, fiscal year, Lord, of ministry, the lives that have been changed, the ministries that we've been able to do and begin and, and work. And God, thank you for the faithfulness of our congregation to give over the course of the last year. You have blessed through offerings, you have blessed through tithing, and you continue to do that. So thank you for how you are giving, uh, are using that, uh, that giving faithfully in the life of our church. We pray for a new year. Lord, as we start our new year in July, we just pray for your blessing to be upon our church. Help us to reach many with the gospel of Jesus Christ according uh, here locally, according to your will. And Lord, around the world, help us to reach many for Christ as we attempt to both give and pray and go uh, to the nations. But Lord, thank you for the... Um, the tithes and offerings that we give to you this morning, we give them to you faithfully. 
and pray that you'd multiply them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed. Thank you all so much. Have a blessed morning.